audio check. Now, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. <laughs> So we are in uh, our second segment of the Magellan RX for October Pharmacist Month. Uh, it's, it's a Magellan RX special series for those that are tuning in or might not have heard the last episode. We're interviewing pharmacists at Magellan, seeing what cool things you guys are doing here, seeing how it's impacting pharmacy, how it's impacting business, um, and getting some insight as to uh, who you are, uh, who the pharmacists are here, and, and what it is that they're doing day to day. So... Um, Dr. Brian McDonald, thank you for being on the phone uh, on the phone here. Thank you for being in person here with me <laughs> no um, in this podcast. And uh, let's start by telling the listeners just a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Brian McDonald. I am the manager of specialty clinical programs here at Magellan. Uh, I graduated in 2009 from the U- University of Rhode Island uh, with a PharmD degree as well as a minor in French language and literature. Nice. Uh, almost a double major. I came up a few gen ed credits short. It's a l- long story, but I ended up yeah. settling for the minor. Gotcha. You're like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I mean, I did, I did French all through junior high, through high school, into college, because it just kind of came naturally, and mm-hmm. I was good at languages, and it was a good way to get some A's on the report card through college to balance out some of the sciences that I was doing. But yeah. um, I even did two of my pharmacy rotations abroad in France. So we kind of had all that lined up for credits and papers to get it towards a double major. Mm-hmm. And then when I was done with pharmacy school, they told me like three of my gen ed credits weren't going to transfer from the pharmacy curriculum uh, to the French curriculum. Yeah. And they tried to convince me to go to like summer school or take a fall class afterwards. And exactly. I was like, nope, I'm, yeah. like, I came here for pharmacy school. Yeah. I'm done with pharmacy school. Uh, the, the minor will be fine. Thank you. So, yeah. you know, amazing experiences abroad and stuff. And are you still kind of like practicing talking or yeah i wouldn't say practicing i do listen i listen to french music oh, a okay, lot cool. I, mean, I got it in my itunes along with all the other, the other stuff i do have some french movies in, in the yeah. you know in the library um but i don't necessarily like, read it or seek it out um i'm still i would probably be pretty shy to speak it these days but mm-hmm. i mean i think if i could if we were to go travel and go back to paris or something yeah. i definitely could get around but um yeah, not as much as I used to. There's this mu- this is completely off topic but there's this music series that I, that I listen to on youtube it's called colors um, and they have like all these different types of like new and upcoming artists and it's it's a global thing so like sometimes I'm listening to like normal things you know YouTube like it'll automatically play the next video yeah some like French like rap came on and I was like all right yeah, I can, I cool can, yeah it was some it was some interesting music and I, and although I didn't understand the language it sounded really good and I was like wow this is this might be something to um, to continue to listen to. So now sometimes I just let it play, like yeah. even though I don't know what's going on, but it just sounds like, like I, I, can, I can feel it, you mm-hmm. know? So that's interesting. In my time as a community pharmacist, uh, I did have an opportunity to counsel two separate patients in French over okay. like a five-year span though. So yeah. I can't say it was a total waste. It you definitely need, came in handy. I'll tell you, if you come down to Miami, yeah, we have a lot of uh, large Haitian population in okay. Miami, so they speak Creole, but I think you, they can understand. Yeah, kind of one both. of my consultations with this gentleman who spoke Creole, and it was we were able to get through it pretty easily. Yeah, we, we need you down there, man. Like it's <laughs> it's I had to learn Spanish in Miami to yeah. for, like to practice pharmacy, like for for pharmacy Spanish. So it's uh, it's difficult. So all right, so let's talk about. Um, so you said you're in, you have. Uh, community pharmacy background. What was that like? Yeah. So when I first graduated from URI, I worked uh, five years in the community. Uh, it floated briefly before I was given my first opportunity to manage a store. Um, so I worked in southeastern Massachusetts, uh, primarily uh, managing different pharmacies there, some high volume, some low volume, 24 hours, non-24 hours. 
Um, so I did that for about five years, and then I actually worked uh, in long-term care, too, for about three years in between before I arrived at Magellan. So I had some opportunities there to you know, yeah. do prescriptions for nursing homes, assisted living homes, and, and things like that. What's that like in for long-term care? Like, just, I know we're not, this isn't supposed to be about long-term care, but, like, <laughs> can you brief, because I don't think I've had a long-term care pharmacist on here, can you briefly just touch on, like, what that was like? Yeah, absolutely, and I thought... Um, I never thought it was something I would do because it wasn't something we covered very much in pharmacy school either. Mm-hmm. I don't remember there being a lot of talks about long-term care, and I don't know if that's my own tunnel vision because I always thought I was just going to be the king of community and I was just going to go into community and, <laughs> and that was going to be my whole career. I yeah. enjoyed it. I loved the patient interactions. I liked the hustle and bustle. Um, so I kind of thought that was like the sole avenue for me. Um, and then I ended up doing long-term care. It's interesting. Uh, ours was like a, clo- a closed-door pharmacy but it had a lot of pace and a lot of volume. So you had that like that need for speed that kind of comes with community sometimes mm-hmm. and, and, and it has deadlines and you're trying to fill the scripts and, and check the orders and stuff like that, but without patients coming in the door and interacting with you. So it, it's sort of like a hybrid uh, community, but not community, but it's a lot of blister packing. You know, we had an IV department that was doing IV antibiotics mm-hmm. and hydration therapy and stuff like that. And, you know, it definitely was, it was probably maybe one step more clinical than community. Mm-hmm. Um, we had great relationships with the doctors and the nurses in our facilities. So if there were questions about orders, you know, we would just hop on the phone. Very easy to get a prescriber on the phone or at least one of the nurses from the home to, to clarify orders. So it probably had a more direct line to the, to the providers than you might have in community. Sometimes it's hard to get in touch with people when you're in the community and you're trying to clarify something, but... Um, it definitely still had that community feel in terms of kind of sometimes the, the pressure to kind of get things done and out the door. Yeah. And so let's move in. Let's go, go to present time. So what is it? What's your official role again? So I'm the manager of specialty clinical programs. Okay. Uh, one program in particular, which is the Magellan RX Cares program or MRX Cares for short. And what it is is uh, we have a, a specialty pharmacy down in Orlando. And as part of the specialty pharmacy offering, we have this MRX Cares program. It is a free patient management program uh, for patients. I think we're up to about a dozen eligible disease states. And for patients who are on self-administered meds for these disease states, we have a team of nurses who will contact the patients typically once a month for the first six months of their specialty therapy, give them disease state counseling, medication counseling, help them with injection technique training Mm -hmm. or copay assistance or support groups, whatever it is that that patient needs. Uh, These nurses are trained in motivational interviewing techniques to guide the conversations to be personalized and individualized and provide each individual patient whatever it is they need to be most successful and most adherent to their specialty therapies. Yeah. Because it looks like, I mean, that's the, the biggest part in specialty is like that high touch care. Like they really need that attention. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, that's, I, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of specialty experience necessarily before I joined our specialty team. I was actually sort of hesitant to kind of reach for this promotion. And then thankfully with some some nudging from the right people here at Magellan, they encouraged me to kind of go nice. to that next step. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad I did. I mean, specialty has been really, really cool. Um, you know, we're dealing with disease states in our program that range everything from cystic fibrosis to HIV, hepatitis C, multiple sclerosis, and then a lot of our autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, Crohn's disease. I mean, I, there's a lot that mm-hmm. we've, we've kind of brought into. Um, but yeah, we're talking about, you know, a lot of times injectable meds, sometimes oral, but uh, yeah, high cost 
these are chronic conditions that patients are dealing with, and a lot of times these specialty patients are also dealing with uh, either symptoms of depression or other comor uh, comorbid conditions, you know, large pill burdens, you know, lots of prescriptions that need to be managed. So, you know, adherence to these specialty meds, I think, is, is extra important to make yeah. sure that everyone involved uh, is getting the most out of the therapy. It's so hard. Like, I can't imagine, like, what some of those people are going through. But, like, you just started naming off, like, when one thing happens and leads to this, and then and then it just starts to lead to mental Ill illnesses. Like, it, it's such a hard thing to to kind of even comprehend and deal with. So um, uh, it, it's awesome that you're able to be in this role to have an impact there now. What, what's your day to day like? Like so that we heard your role, we know what it is that that your that the that MRX Cares does. But when you show up at nine, you clock in. What's the day like? So the first thing I typically do is so I'm hands on managing the patient population. So our patient uh, group changes daily. Mm -hmm. So every morning I, I get a list of our new patients who joined the pharmacy yesterday and got their specialty meds filled that day. Uh, we ship our specialty meds across the country, um, you know, priority overnight so that they, that they arrive on the patient's doorstep the next day. So in real time with that, I sync it up that those patients are added to our patient population so that they get an outreach call from our MRX Cares team that lines up with the arrival of their medication. And when they open their specialty med for the first time, there's a small brochure that kind of has some disease state information and explains the MRX Cares program a little bit to give them heads up that a team member will be contacting them. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, you know, we follow up with that delivery with a phone call to offer them the program free of charge. Um, they can choose to participate or not. I mean, but we are kind of here for them to to kind of review that information and make sure that they're comfortable with whatever endeavor they're about to embark on. Mm -hmm. We also kind of coordinate that with. Uh, individual uh, traditional mail letters that go to their prescribers, letting the prescribers know that their patients are now in, you know, automatically eligible for this program through our pharmacy so that we can get some provider awareness of the, of the program as well in case a patient needs some extra nudging or motivation to maybe to speak with us. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm kind of coordinating all of those introductory communications to provider and patient. Uh, I'm also in charge of running our you know, data reporting, being able to provide uh, client-specific results to some of the people we work with mm -hmm. in terms of how many of their patients are participating. We measure patient adherence using uh, PDC calculations. So I, I'm in charge of getting those, compiling those, and making them, you know, presentable back to, back to some of our major clients. I'm also helping out with uh, maintaining our URAC accreditation. Mm -hmm. So the specialty pharmacy and the CARES program itself both maintain ongoing, you know, kind of national accreditation. Yeah. So I'm participating in, you know, whatever we need to do to, to keep that up to, to standards. I'm doing quality assurance of the calls, listening to some of the, the conversations that the nurses are having, making sure that they're clinically appropriate, both, you know, the recommendations that they're providing and the information that they're uh, giving to the patients, as well as making sure that those calls themselves are meeting those same accreditation standards. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, kind of, a lot of the areas I'm in also, you know, in specialty, we're, we're talking about constant sort of new drugs coming to market, making sure that the team is aware of new approvals uh, that our pharmacy is gaining access to mm -hmm. so that they can be aware of these kind of new therapies that are coming, coming on board. And we're constantly looking at expansion. What new disease states can we bring into the fold to make this program available to more people um, more often? And, you know, last but maybe not least, you know, also looking at you know, what kind of technological advancements are out there for our program. Mm -hmm. This is a program that is traditionally 
uh, founded in telephone-based conversations and you know, mailed letters, mailed information. So what can we do with email? What can we do with text messaging? What can we do with on-demand videos and more interactive things mm -hmm. that the patients can do either on their own time or to supplement uh, some of the phone calls that we're providing. Yeah. By the way, that was a shameless plug for VUCA Health and on-demand videos. So if anyone needs anything, I got you. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you have the job of about seven people. I was trying to keep track, but uh, I, I lost count because it seems like you have a lot of different hats that you have to wear in this role. Yeah, I mean, clinical oversight does reach into a lot of different buckets, um, you know, making sure that the calls are of high quality and making sure that the service that we're providing to patients can be as good as it can be so mm -hmm. the patients are getting maximum benefits out of it, that they are encouraged and motivated to refill their medication on time, stay on top of their therapy, proactively manage these chronic conditions instead of passively. Um, there's a lot that that our team sort of takes on and, and our nurses take a lot of pride in the program to make sure that these patients feel cared for and special and in that they're in good hands. Mm -hmm. So let's say um, there was another position open that it was, a, it was a, a position that you had dreamed of. I'm not saying that you hate your current role, but <laughs> uh, some other position opened up, you took it and you had you were responsible for then filling your, your position. What qualities are you looking for in the next person that they have to have to make sure that they can kind of do your role as good as you're doing it? Wow, that's an excellent question. Um, some of the things I've kind of had to learn on the fly uh, that I wasn't already necessarily fluent in is, you know, maybe some of the basic computer functions. I was not, I was not very fluent in, you know, Excel, for example, and, mm -hmm. and what are the, you know, the true capabilities of, you know, beyond the basic spreadsheet. Um, we do a lot of a lot of that for maintaining the program data and results. Uh, we don't necessarily have an automated process for a lot of our results yet, so these mm -hmm. are libraries and, and archives of data that I'm building out manually. Um, so being handy with that. Uh, now, on that, how did you get to that point where you were like, because it sounds like you're an Excel ninja now. <laughs> I don't like, know if I go that far. <laughs> how did you, because I think Excel is huge, um, you know, especially anytime you get uh, past the, the clinical practice setting, um, everyone, you're using Excel. Um, how did you get to that point? Like, was it YouTube videos? Was there, was there a specific program you took? Was it uh, reading books? What, what, how did you get there? A little bit of a combination. Uh, first and foremost, relying on my colleagues here, people mm -hmm. who are already in similar positions, who had the experience of executing these sorts of things for other clinical programs that Magellan runs. Uh, a lot of online research, you know, just Googling how do I do this or what are the steps to this. Mm -hmm. um, and then Magellan does offer some internal sort of like training aids. Um, so there's courses on lots of different uh, skills yeah. that, that you can take internally here. So you need to make that public. For, yeah. Jerks. So there's, there's one I think that addresses most of the Microsoft Office, you know, yeah. applications. Cool. Um, so, all right. So let's go back to saying, all right, there's no other role open. You're staying where you're at. You want to be, you're going to be in this role for things five to 10 years. How do you see this role changing um, with the advances in technology, with the changes in the industry? Um, how does your particular role, like how do you really see it changing in the future? I think what I would look for is uh, expanding this program to as many people as possible, uh, as often as possible. So the telephone-based consultation can only take you so far, especially mm -hmm. for a company 
like ours that you know doesn't necessarily run some 24-hour call center where we can reach people at all hours of the night or, or you know early in the morning. Uh, you know, there's a certain portion of the population that you're just never going to reach between the standard hours of nine to five, Monday through Friday, because they're either working themselves or they're just kind of hard to reach. So, you know, expanding this program to be phone, text, online, you know, if, if we could get some sort of chat capability in real time to, to talk to people, um, just increasing our availability to patients to help them navigate any questions they have, uh, prior authorizations, you know, side effects, whatever it might be, um, expanding our availability to them to, you know, try to drive adherence as best as possible. Yeah. Really trying to get all these patients motivated and inspired to, uh, you know, take a, a hands-on approach to managing these conditions mm -hmm. so that we can hopefully in the long run drive down the costs from the complications. Yeah. And how does, so you mentioned driving down costs and I, I wanted to kind of see, talk a little bit of the business side of things. And a lot of times when, when we go to pharmacy school, we're not getting that, we're not getting that exposure um, to the business side of things. We're just getting the clinical aspects of most of our learnings. How is, can you talk a little bit to how you have to balance the two or um, what is the impact of business and, and like, you know, um, just financial decisions have an impact? How does that play a role into like your day to day or just the clinical aspects of things? I think it, it can be particularly tough in specialty because of the costs of the treatments themselves. Sometimes driving adherence can drive costs in a way. Um, it can be expensive to refill the medication uh, over and over and over again. So being able to offset that with, you know, projected future savings is can sometimes be a hard balance to uh, to achieve. Um, that said, you know, I believe that if these patients, if our patients are knowledgeable and confident with their medications and they are on appropriate doses of appropriate therapies that can get them to an ideal quality of life and, you know, low presence of, you know, whatever their outgoing symptoms might be, or whether if it's internal that, you know, if it's a disease state that's being monitored by lab values and it's not something the patient can necessarily feel, um, in the long run, that's, that's got to have, you know, everyone's best interest at heart. We have patients that are, that are better, that should help their payers that are hopefully, you know, not so, you know, subjected to uh, future catastrophic costs. And, and hopefully there's, there's a balance there that everyone can, can participate in. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you mentioned that you came from community setting uh, and obviously also the long, long-term care setting. What advice can you give to someone that's currently practicing now that they're like, man, I really want to have that role. Like that's like, they just heard you describe what it is that you do. And they're like, that's me. That's what I really want to do. Some people might be like, mm, I don't want to do that, you know, but <laughs> for those that do like say like, I want to get there, what would you like, if you were in this, like, what would you do to really prepare for this or being, especially being that they were not in the backyard, let's say like, you know, you, you know, I, I think they had met, uh, another episode mentioned there's a large percentage of people from Rhode Island. Um, it's just kind of like a backyard um, kind of game here, but if you didn't have those type of connections, and I know networking is obviously important, what other things other than the networking piece would you be doing to try to get to your role? If I were to go backwards, you know, sort of like doing a maze from the finish instead of the start, what I probably could have done or would have done to get to this specific role is, uh, is possibly like a managed care residency. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to guess the, the typical person in a managed care type position uh, didn't go from community to long-term care to a pharmacist call center to a promotion into mm-hmm. a role like this. Um, a much more direct path out of school would be um, like a PGY1 re- residency and then something you know focused in managed care. Okay. That would really stand out probably amongst other applicants or other people vying for a similar position. Yeah. Um, and I know some of my colleagues have, have done some of that, you know, post-grad in order to sort of give them a leg up in this specific yeah. field. Well, I want you to know that I feel extremely enlightened with uh, just learning about specialty and the, oh, and, and the important programs that are, that are involved. And specialty is one of the largest growing, you know, sectors of the industry. And, and I think, you know, people are not talking enough about it. So I'm glad... Um, both myself and hopefully the listeners got a little bit more insight as to what it's like to kind of be in, in the specialty side of things. So um, thank you very much for that. And uh, well, just thank you. Uh, before before I let you go here, can you tell if anyone wants to kind of connect with you and kind of uh, maybe have some questions or just kind of continue the conversation, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, best option is probably my email here, which is my first initial B and then my last name, MacDonald. That's M-A-C, like old MacDonald, not yeah. like the fast food chain. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's bmacdonald at MagellanHealth.com. Um, I'd give out social media, but you're not really going to get many pharmacy things there. It's mostly just like bad sports takes. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll be following along. <laughs> uh, thank you, Brian, so much. Really yeah, do appreciate it. This was great. Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And I really want to thank the folks over at Magellan RX for making this happen, uh, both to the pharmacist that uh, we interviewed in the series and also the marketing team over at Magellan. I really do appreciate you guys for uh, really making this come to life uh, for, uh, for October Pharmacist Month. And uh, if you want to learn more about Magellan, what they're doing, visit them at MagellanRx.com. I'm going to link their uh, website information in the show notes below. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, um, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, We're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.